0: This is an affiliate promotion, meaning we may earn a commission if you take advantage of this fantastic deal. Act fast, preserve your history, and save big with Go Digital at ScanMyPhotos.com. Hi, I'm Maureen Taylor, the photo detective. I really love family photographs. All of them. From the mystery images you find in shoeboxes and albums, to the pictures you snap with your digital devices. No mystery is too small. A simple question about an image can lead to new stories of your ancestors. This means you can count on me to help you identify the people in them, offer solutions for preserving and organizing them, and yes, even guide you in the various ways to gather and share picture stories with your relatives. My guest today is Dave Wilson from the Victorian Photo Studio. Dave, you don't know this, but I've been lurking on your page for a while. I think what you do is pretty cool. Why don't you tell folks about what it is that you do with the Victorian Photo Studio and then at the end, tell us how we can get in touch with you. Oh, well, thank you.
1: So what we do at the Victorian Photography Studio in Gettysburg is we run kind of a Victorian photo parlor. We try to give our customers the true full experience of the way photography was done in the 1860s. So when you come in, we'll have all kinds of different varieties of outfits, and uniforms and clothing and dresses and furniture and backdrops. We really try to emulate the look and feel of photos you'd find from the 1850s through the 1870s.
0: That's pretty cool. And what type of formats do you do?
1: So we're mostly large format shooting wet plate collodion. We shoot tin types and ambro types. We use our main parlor camera is an old daguerreotype camera. So it's like a probably early 1850s lens and box. And we set that up up there with uh, continuous light. There's a lot of people who use strobe, but to really kind of capture that, that look and that feel, we use continuous lighting, uh, switch, which means you're going to have to sit still a little bit longer than just popping a flash. But uh, we uh, also have posing stands and all kinds of little tricks to help you hold still while we're capturing your image.
0: That's amazing. And you have a wardrobe for people as well, which I just want to say right now is going to fuel the flame of that myth. That every studio had a closet you could go in and pick your clothes out for. That's all I'm going to say, Dave. (laughs) Right. I I know.
1: (laughs) So we we do a lot of
0: myth busting at our studio.
1: And that is one of those things that people thought oh, photographers had a ton of these props and clothes. And in some cases, that is somewhat true. We do a lot of like early war, Civil War photographs. And if you look at some of these, particularly like the early Mississippi, like Jeff Davis and the South photos. All those guys are holding the exact same sword, the exact same pistol, the exact same table, you know? So yeah, there were some, some photographers props, but most of the time you just showed up in what clothes you're, you were going to wear anyway. You don't go to J.C. JCPenney or Olin Mills and they have a wardrobe for you there. You kind of pick out what you already want to wear and show up. And it was no different in the 1850s and 1860s. And that's kind of what we're, we're shooting for is, is we really want to, we really want you to look like an 1860s civilian whether you're wearing a dress or wearing a uniform or whatever we've got we're we're really trying to push for that that look where it's not just your typical photograph we're shooting for something a little better than like the boardwalk
0: so yeah I mean that myth won't die your ancestors they would dress up for the photo studio it was an occasion you didn't want to show up in your Threadbare overalls that you've been working in the field in. I mean, some people did, but for the most part, people wore their Sunday best.
1: Exactly. And even when you see occupational tintypes, a good one is a guy named William Poole, who they based Bill the Butcher off of for the Gangs of New York. He was, you know, a butcher by trade. And of course, he's there in his apron, but he's also wearing a top hat. You know, he's wearing the nicer stuff he's got. And you see all these great occupational photos. Were these craftsmen wearing Cravats and silk vests to be turning table legs. No, they probably weren't, but they were wearing something nice to go get their image struck.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that, yeah, I'm sure of it. So, what are the challenges of working with 19th century technology and trying to photograph 21st century people?
1: A lot of it is getting people to understand the pose, actually. It's not something 19th century posing has kind of got a style to it. And I've spent most of my life looking at old photos from the 1850s and 1860s, particularly the American Civil War. But when you look at these parlor and portrait photos, you see a lot of themes and a lot of the same thing over and over again. The way men stand, the way women sit, just the way you hold your head, the way you hold your face, where you're looking. Um, there's ways where you can take a very 21st century looking person And put them in the right clothes, put them in the right pose and get a very 19th century photo out of it. We have a whole bunch of X's on the back wall behind the camera for people to look at. So they're not just staring directly down the lens. You know, I teach men kind of how to stand. You don't just uh, people, people nowadays generally tend to stand you know, feet, shoulder, shoulder length apart. And men back then kind of had a very jaunty pose, hip out, you know, feet in a T, shoulders back, chest out a little bit. And even their clothing would reflect that too. The Like the 1858 enlisted dress uniform, it's got a pigeon breast in it too. So it's got padding in the chest. It's cut in a C so that like the chest actually puffs out a little bit. And 1860s, Men's clothing is almost cut in a way that we would consider, consider a little bit effeminate today, but it's very tapered waist, very flared at the hips, shoulders back, chest out. It's a sharp look, but it's not, it's not something that we would consider inherently masculine today, but that's what was in back then. So we, I, I tend to try and kind of push my customers a little bit that way and explain
0: the fashion as we go. I love this. I love this because what you've done is really dig deep into what people were doing in those 1850s 1860s photographs. Now I just want to say you're making a big problem for me with these photographs where you're posing 21st century people (laughs) in 19th century formats in 19th century clothes. No one better come to me with one of those and say, Who's it? Well, in, it's in I, this I picture, hate to tell you,
1: but it's, it's happened before. I can think of at least two instances where some modern tin types have been sold as originals. My tin type friend, Rob Gibson, who used to shoot right across the street from me, there's a Facebook page called Civil War Faces. And a guy brought up a picture and said, Hey, I just picked this up from an antique store. It was in a case, there's a little six plate of a young, thin Virginia Confederate. And he said, I'd love to get any more info on this guy if anyone can recognize the buttons. I looked really hard on it and said, yeah, I can recognize that. That's my buddy, John Heckman. And this was taken in 2012. So I hate to tell you that you spent $800 on a photo of a reenactor, but that's what it is. And um, I've also had one of mine get sold as an original too. So, and I, I mean, it's both a compliment and a curse at the same time, but you know, it's, that's what we're shooting for. We're shooting for passable originals.
0: Yeah. I know Rob Gibson. He was on the podcast a little bit ago, probably a year ago. February of 2021. His pictures yep. are fantastic. And you put these tin types and amber types in authentic. Cases meaning authentic reproductions.
1: I do. I have a guy named Bill Feen out in New Jersey. He makes really good reproduction frames. I'm I'm a big uh, collector of original cases. Um, I'm a big fan of like the Ike Miles, Ike Meyer style case. Just any of those great little thermoplastic gem cases that I can find. I love collecting those. And I used to have a guy who would find old ones that were all beat up and he'd put them back together and fix them up for me and I'd sell them in the studio. So for the first couple of years that I had the studio, we were selling only original cases as well too. But the market on those has gone crazy, crazy. And the the supply has basically dried up. So I've been getting reproduction frames made and they really do add to your photo. There's something that just inherently makes it look more 19th century having that brass mat and keeper and the leatherette case or a thermoplastic case.
0: They're beautiful. The reproduction cases are beautiful.
1: Yeah. And there's there's another girl out in California, her name's Catherine Segura, and she's reproducing the gutta percha and thermoplastic frames, like the really ornate ones. I only have a couple of them on my website right now, but I just put in another order with her. So I'll be getting more and we'll be having them in. They're only in period correct sizes. So I only have them in Six plate, quarter plate, and half plate. I know everybody wants a five by seven, but she's making them directly off an original mold. So it's tough finding modern sizes for those.
0: So what is something that we don't understand about mid 19th century photography?
1: So I'll kind of answer that in a roundabout way. One of the big things that I've learned from actually practicing 19th century photographer is how to have a better eye for looking at period photos and understanding lighting conditions, developing conditions, just all the little tricks that can make things happen. I am begrudgingly a a moderator in two post-mortem Facebook pages and uh, yeah, believe me. (laughs) Yeah, don't don't go there. (laughs) It's horrible. But one thing I can do is I can shoot down a lot of those myths by reproducing how those photos come out because i'm sure you've seen all the time the people oh they've got dead eyes those are blue eyes most likely for those of you don't know in the collodion color scale blue comes out very very white yellows and reds come out very very dark collodion is only reactive to ultraviolet light and so the colors on the nanometer scale that are closest to ultraviolet light you know light blues they're going to develop much quicker and so they turn very very white and so Every time I get one of those, oh, they must, you know, this, this person's glassy eyes, they must be dead. So I can, I can reproduce that in the studio or talking about how the colors of people's hands or skin goes really dark. So I can reproduce that too, whether by my lighting or by my development or just the skin tones of certain people. Like my wife's Hispanic. She's very pale in real life, but when I shoot a tintype of her, she always comes out fairly dark just because the olivey tones in her skin are going to trend dark because they're more like yellowy. It's just a characteristic of wet plate photography. That's, that's how it always was. That's how it's always going to be there. I've tried and tried and tried to make the color red come out anything but dark, but it really really doesn't. You're just (laughs) always going to get that. I I don't want to jump too far into this because you had a whole podcast covering morning photos, but the colors of people's clothes, um, there are so many colors on the spectrum that are going to come out dark that look black or look gray and you can't just look straight at the color in in wet plate photography because there's so many bright vibrant reds and maroons and yellows and grays and so many colors that are just going to come out drab um, especially if they aren't developed the right way and so just basing your your opinion on a a morning photo air quotes there off of color just you, you really can't do it you have to understand morning attire and morning clothing and fabrics and, and all that kind of stuff
0: you do and so I follow a number of fashion historians on Instagram and they share images of clothing from museums and mm-hmm. when I give a lecture I'll include a bright orange ball gown from the 1850s right because people think orange that's a modern color no, no not no, no. so
1: much well and the thing is with orange with all the yellow and red in it it trends dark almost all the time so unless it's a silk and the fabric is really kind of bouncing the color back orange wool is going to come out black
0: right which then yep. will look like a bride and morning
1: right and <laughs> I, I i a lot of times on my instagram i like to post a digital photo and then the tintype because you see so many plaids and stuff that come out completely different. I had uh, just uh, about a month ago, I had a group of three girls come in and they made their own dresses. This girl had a beautiful plaid silk and I don't remember the actual colors. I'm colorblind of all things, but I don't remember the actual colors of it, but two of the main color, like the body color and the accent stripe ended up turning the same color in the collodion. And so instead of a plaid dress, now she had a striped dress. And so if you're trying to recreate that fabric off of that photo, you would never know that it was a plaid dress.
0: That's so, so interesting.
1: One of, one of my very favorites, I was, uh, there's an older gentleman who came in and he was doing a, a GAR impression, Grand Army of the Republic. And, and so he had this navy blue jacket on. And so, you know, I take the photo of him, I'm developing it. And as I'm seeing the negative come up, I'm seeing all these streaks right across the jacket. I'm like, what, what is happening here? And so I'm staring at it and I rinse it off and I look out. And out of the dark room, no, he's wearing a, just a plain jacket. I'm staring at the jacket again, and we develop it, and the jacket is plaid. And I was like, well, how did this happen? And so we looked at the jacket, and there is a single thread light blue plaid stitch that runs through it. And he's like, I've had this jacket for 20 years. I never noticed that. The collodion camera picked it up and accented that, that very light blue and turned it white. And it, it looks like a plaid jacket in the, in the tintype.
0: That's fascinating. So if, you were,
1: if you were trying to recreate that fabric, you say, "Oh, all I need I need a plaid fabric for this jacket, but I mean, as far as we could tell it's straight up navy blue." So
0: mm. Now, what about when photographers were taking pictures in the mid 19th century? Atmospheric things like weather conditions would affect the developing time and worse. How does that How does that work with your studio and are you using old-time chemicals? We are,
1: yeah. In fact, we make almost all of our chemicals in house. I'm one of the one of the only ones who's still using potassium cyanide as a fixer. Most of the uh, most of the the wet plate hobby has moved on from KCN, and they're using rapid fix or ammonium thiocyanate. But I feel it gets a flatter, grayer, bluer tone to the images, and so we're kind of really looking to recreate that 19th century tone, that kind of like coffee cream tone. Um, and so to really get that, we, we use all the exact period chemicals. So we mix our own collodion in-house. We mix our silver nitrate, our developer. I mainly base them off of a book from 1864 called The Silver Sunbeam. It's got multiple different collodial recipes in there. I tend to mix three different collodions for different light, um, for outdoor light, for dark outdoor light, and for indoor artificial light. Um, because your tones and your contrasts and your mid-tones are all going to read different depending on the style of light that you have.
0: All right, let's take a step back.
1: Okay. Th- that
0: <laughs> stuff you're messing with is really toxic. Very. How are you managing that? I mean, photographers in the 19th century died regularly from the chemicals that they were. You're a young guy. I don't want you to die anytime right. soon because of the chemicals you're mixing.
1: So It's one of those things that if you treat the chemicals with respect and if you understand what they can do, you can be safe around them and use them safely. Make sure that they don't mix with anything else. Um, KCN in its liquid form, potassium cyanide. It's not permeable through your skin, but if it gets in your bloodstream, you're in trouble. So when I'm mixing the powder uh, into the liquid, I wear a full respirator. I wear goggles. I lay down an entire fresh set of paper towels in my dark room, and I do all the work on that. And then I bag that up and tie it off and throw it all away when it's all done. So everything that I'm working, because KCN is, the consistency is almost like sweet and low. It's a real, real fine powder but it's kind of flaky at the same time too. So I turn off all the fans. I turn off everything. Even if it's a hot summer day, I turn off the AC just so that there's no chance that anything is going to get airborne. Um, but as far as dangerous chemicals, that, that is the tough one. Silver nitrate can also be rough too, but you know, you wear gloves, you handle everything with a lot of care, especially you don't want to get anywhere, near, anywhere near your eyes. That's, that's, you know, what they assume Matthew Brady went blind from was handling all that silver nitrate. But yeah, if you, if you aren't stupid about it and if you aren't careless about it, you can really, you can really work with this stuff and, and not have any issues.
0: Wow. And, you know, I should have asked this question in the beginning, that how did you get started with this?
1: so I literally walked into the studio and it was for sale I have no photographic background other than that I didn't even take like a high school photography course my great aunt was a photographer Uh, she did analog photography Um, and uh, so that was pretty much the only experience that I had with it but I never did it hands-on I was just around people who shot film but I was a Civil War reenactor and historian and I spent most of my life studying these types of photos and so that's You know, I already had, I already knew how they were supposed to look. And then it was just doing the mechanics to make them look that way.
0: You don't even have a chemistry background.
1: (laughs) No, actually I was in an advanced science program in the state of Illinois, but it was a test program for high school. And um, it was called integrated layup sciences. And instead of doing, you know, earth science, freshman year, biology, sophomore, and chemistry junior, they did all three in trimesters for three years in a row. And they started us out as freshmen in junior chemistry. And we all failed. We all did terrible. So my high school science and chemistry was basically nothing. Uh, so,
0: And yet, here you are, mixing here, chemicals. I know.
1: I know if, Ms. <laughs> if Ms. Heiberger only knew that I was doing chemistry for a living, she would literally die.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I think you might get a phone call. <laughs> yeah, she she retired right after that class. She was done with it. No more. <laughs> so. <laughs> Anyway, Dave, anything else you want to add? Because this has been really enjoyable. Uh, How can people participate in the Victorian Photo Studio? Sure thing.
1: So we have a couple different options. We have our studio in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, located at 76 Steinware Avenue. We're right across from the Dobbin House in town. Um, That's where you can go and dress up and have the full parlor studio experience. My uh, studio manager, Kim, runs the place most of the time. I'm there occasionally, and her and our assistant, Brandon, will do a fantastic job of posing you historically, dressing you anything that you're looking for. If you're looking for specific regiments or specific dresses, we probably have it. So they're there in Gettys. You can also find me on the road. I travel a lot, I'm all over the East Coast and the Midwest. I do steampunk conventions, I do pop-up shops. I'm just about to post the start of my travel schedule for 2022, if we're allowed to travel in 2022. And you can find that on either our Facebook page, which is Victorian Photography Studio, or you can find us on Instagram at VPS underscore Gettysburg. Um, That's where you're gonna find most of our info, especially for our travel stuff. And then we also host workshops, Where we do like uh, beginner workshops, just kind of getting you introduced to wet plate photography. We do intermediate workshops where we're working outdoors. And then we also do for established wet plate photographers, we do chemical workshops too. A lot of people just buy pre-made chemicals and uh, a lot of them are looking to learn how to make them themselves. So I do a chemical class where we mix all of our own collodion, developer, all that good stuff. So
0: you get the full hands-on experience. Well, if I ever get to Gettysburg, I'm gonna look you up because I would like to see this in action. I can't imagine you having enough clothing and enough sizes to match everyone. But well, that's
1: that's one thing we really do pride ourselves on. We have everything from you know three and four month old babies all the way up to 5x, 6x. I don't think we've had a person come in yet that we haven't been able to fit. So there's been a couple of people whose feet have been a little too big for some of our boots, but we stick you in the back. (laughs) So we shoot from we shoot from the knees up or something. But other than that, everybody we've been able to fit everybody.
0: That's great, Dave. Thank you so much for joining me on the photo detective.
1: Of course, thank you.
0: enjoyed this episode please share it on social media leave me a rating and a review and if you know of a friend or family member who's also interested in family photographs share this episode with them too see you next time